gods have full moon, to where if we didn't harvest animal brains, full moon features would go out of business. I am Gabe, and with me today is my lovely co-host, Casey. Casey, how are you doing today? I've I've got this weird feeling of deja vu. I, I, I feel like we've done this before. You know, that, that could be because this is the second attempt at recording this, but I feel, I feel like what you're implying is that it might be because we are also doing the first ever sequel on the podcast. And I suppose this recording is the sequel to the recording that no one will ever get to hear. No, I don't think that's it. I think it might be something else. Well, I'm sure you'll figure it out in due time, but until then... Tonight, we have watched Puppet Master 2. So, Casey. Yes. Was this a good movie? I liked this way better than the first one. It's not a good movie, but it's an enjoyable movie. It's one of those... Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's one it of is. those... It's, it's bad, but it's fun. It's one of those kinds of movies. It has become a lot more self-aware... As to what it is, it gets a lot more just interesting overall in the choices that they make. It is by no means a good movie, but it is, as far as the Puppet Master films are concerned, it's quite enjoyable. It's entertaining. It's quite entertaining. Like, they've definitely upped the production values. Um, the, the story already gets a little weird, but I mean, considering the first film you had a bunch of psychics trying to figure out why their friend died, and a bunch of random puppets running around. So, I mean, Puppet Master was never a very sane movie series to begin with. No, no, absolutely. This is... Uh, they take the the strangeness and notch it way the fuck up in the sequel. And starting out with the sequel, we open on a cemetery that is supposedly behind Bodega Bay, which was never addressed in the first movie, but this cemetery has very, very clearly fake crosses, fake foam crosses, and the puppets are digging up Andre Toulon's grave. Which which begs, begs the question, if he'd had any living family, wouldn't he have been interred somewhere else? I mean, like... At his age, he probably had a will of some sort that would determine where he was supposed to be buried. And I don't think it would have been the Scarab Hill Cemetery behind B the Bodega Bay Inn. Well, Andre Toulon is German, correct? Yes. He's European, I suppose we could say. But then that raises the question, why is he being buried in an American hotel? But you know what? That's for reasons of plot convenience. Yeah, that is like, why are you asking this? You know there's no answer. But that's it. that's basically our life in this podcast. We're asking questions that do not have answers. So we are, the puppets are digging up Andre Toulon's grave, or I should say Pinhead is digging up the grave because he is by far the most skilled puppet at digging. And we get to look at all the puppets from the previous film. And Leech Woman got a bit of a makeover, looking a bit more spindly, a little bit more creepy. I'm personally kind of a fan of it. Yeah, but we know what happens to her. Yeah, that's... well, we're not quite there yet. 
but they they find Andre Toulon's corpse and they pour this green reanimator goo all over him, which then causes his skeleton hands to start rising up from the grave. Yes, Pinhead pours the liquid onto the corpse of Toulon and skeleton hands rise to the night sky. Just like, ah, who woke me up? You bitch puppets. <laughs> I was napping. <laughs> also, it must have taken those puppets a long ass time to dig that grave up in that cold open. Like, they're puppets. They have no muscle strength. Pinhead might be the biggest and therefore the most adept with his big ol' human ham hands, but it still must have taken them a very long time, since he's the only one working. Well, they would have had plenty of time, because we find out in the next scene, after two minutes of just white credits over black screen. With the jaunty-ass circus music that I guess is just the theme for the Puppet Master movies. We will see. I don't know if Puppet Master cares as much about itself to have a theme, but we'll see. If that music plays in the opening or ending credits for the third one that we will eventually watch, I will deem it the theme music for Puppet Master. Twice is a coincidence, three is a pattern. Agreed. So, we're back at Bodega Bay, which, if I remember, Bodega Bay is a is in California? Bodega Bay is in California. It's actually the setting for Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds. But they often refer to the building itself as Bodega Bay, so I don't... Well, it's the Bodega Bay Inn. I will accept that. It is... I will accept that. It is the Bodega Bay Inn, so it could just be that they're lazy and don't want to say the full name. Fair enough. But we open back at the Bodega Bay, it's been some time since we were last there, and we find some paranormal researchers uh, contracted by the government. Because apparently, in the median between Master 1 and 2, Gallagher's wife was killed via brain extraction through the nose, and Alex has gone completely insane, and the government now owns the Bodega Bay Hotel. And might I mention, this is the only reference we have to any of the previous psych- psychics or, like, the human characters from the last movie. This is the only reference to tie it to the first one in that, oh yeah, Gallagher's wife who owned the hotel done died, and uh, Alex Alex just done went crazy. So... Yeah, I get the I get the sensation that the Puppet Master films are going to be a lot like the Friday the Thirteenth films, where there is some character through line and then there is some continuous story, but a lot of the times it's just going to be different characters getting their shit wrecked for seemingly unrelated reasons. Now I kind of want to see a tiny puppet Jason. Can we can we replace Splade with a tiny puppet Jason? I think that'd be adorable. That is one of his unlockable costumes uh, in the <laughs> official Puppet Master fighting game. I would honestly play that. The Full Moon fighting game? Hell yes. Yes, I would 100% play the Full Moon fighting game. Have the Puppet Master uh, puppets versus the demonic toys versus Doll Man versus the evil Bond and the ginger dead man. We have so many characters that we could play as. It would honestly be perfect. But you know it would be super duper janky in its graphics and uh, and in the way it plays. 
And for some reason, a majority of their most popular characters are are, are small objects. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> but we meet some of our characters. We meet... Um, I, I can't quite remember some of their names. Elizabeth... Um, or no, Carolyn, Wanda, uh, Martha, blah, blah, blah. There is one woman, I can't remember her name, but she's, look, they're inside the uh, Bodega Bay Inn, and she's looking at this eagle statue, or like a hawk statue, and she approaches it, and she says that she heard a groaning noise. No, that wasn't a groaning noise, it was kind of like a thud. It was either groaning or flapping, which groaning, a thud, and flapping are three very distinct noises that don't sound like one another. You sure she isn't partially deaf? She might as, might very well be. Might be hard of hearing. She might very well be. But as we're going along, uh, they're sort of investigating the Bodega Bay Inn, and we're getting a little bit of background as far as some of the logical things uh surrounding the Bodega Bay. Apparently there were... There's like small passageways all throughout the inn, which would explain how the puppets were getting from place to place. But but also like hotel built by a crazy lady who believed in ghosts to serve as a spot for spirits to congregate. Definitely not a Winchester house ripoff. Well, did they ever, in the first movie, did they ever imply that Bodega Bay itself was special? Nope. Yeah, so they're kind of just adding on this lore that Bodega Bay itself is a magical place. You know what I also don't understand? The whole sheets over furniture to show the place has been abandoned. Why would they bother covering the furniture if they're not coming back for it? Like, that trope honestly never made sense to me. It's like... Oh, there's sheets over all the furniture. I guess this place has just been empty for eons. I'm just like, why? It'd make more sense if they if all the furniture was in disrepla- disrepair and moth-eaten. It's like, why are there sheets protecting everything? Who would do that before they just straight up abandoned the place? Because Charles' band didn't want to go through the process of weathering the furniture, so they just was a fucking put a sheet over it. Yeah, but that's a, a common trope. It's like... I don't understand where it comes from, and I don't understand the purpose. That's probably just me being nitpicky, but it's still, it, it, it's befuddling. I am befuddled. Well, I'd assume that people that have, like, a guest room or something that isn't a room that traditionally has much use outside of, perhaps, storage would throw sheets over stuff like that so that if someone did come by, they're like, oh, it's not all covered in dust, just pop it off, throw it off. But that's... Like, one abandoned room in a habitated house. It's not like... Yeah, it's... It doesn't make so much sense when the entire place is abandoned. We never did that shit in our guest room. Well, some people are lazy. Well, I am too, but I mean, dusting ain't hard. But anyway, we cut from Bodega Bay to one of our other characters named Camille, who is an old psychic. A, uh... What does she do? She does, she, she does predictions is her thing, right? Uh, I... I think so? I don't quite recall. It's been a bit since I've watched the movie. I meant to do a rewatch and then crazy shit happened and then I never got to it. But I'm basically going off of my notes right now. Oh, well, yeah. Yeah. I remember she had like a news... had like a column in a newspaper. And she was... Uh, she is a psychic. Yes. And as we... As we 
have established in the world of Puppet Master, people can just be born a psychic. Yeah. But she reaches a farmhouse in the middle of California where she's talking to uh, Buck Flower and his wife about something's been coming in and, like, killing the cows and stealing their organs or whatever. And she immediately jumps to there being Satanists. But any, but they, they point her towards the, what was it, Scorpion Hill? Scarab Hill. Scarab Hill. They point her to Scarab Hill. Uh, the woman is, like, very concerned about, the wife is very concerned about how there's, like, Bodega Bay is like a cursed place and it's, you know, out of the chimneys is going to come like the burning ashes of bodies or whatever. That overacting farm woman is the best character. Overacting farm woman is very, very delightful. I love her. She gets she gets even better later on. No, I will say I think there is one better character. But we find out that the people that are investigating Bodega Bay are basically government-funded Ghostbusters who go to this place and they were informed, like, hey, this is a spooky place. We need you to go there so that we can keep public opinion down so that if we wanted to use this property, people aren't going to be scared away because there's they think there's ghosts or something. Which, honestly, is the most sense this movie has made so far. Yeah, it's it genuinely... And I think that is some of, one of, some of the uh, best parts of like a good a good bad movie does have some logic to it Mm -hmm. or a good b movie i should say has some logic to it and this is logical this is like oh okay we are government-funded paranormal investigators to disprove ghosts cool i'm on board but camille is there with them and she's like drinking some red wine and it's like up oh, aunt martha's blitzed on the red again it's <laughs> it's very silly how she's going on about all her psychic bullshit yeah and one of the characters i think it's patrick starts to hit on camille in a way it, it, did you get that sense i wouldn't say hitting on i'd say it's like friendly flirting okay oh and it's not patrick it's 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 Michael, uh, because Patrick has, has a, another scene later. But go on. No, I, I think it was... I don't think it's hitting on. I think it's just friendly flirting. It's like, yeah, you're my pal and stuff, so this is just how I am. Because it's like, he's like, oh yeah, you only drink certain kinds of tea, so I've got that ready for you. So it's like, I, I think it's more of a sign of respect than anything, because it's like... For starters, it would make Camille feel good about herself. It would show that this dude has knowledge of her and knows her preferences and whatnot. So I I wouldn't consider it, like, serious flirting. More friendly. Yeah, okay. I I just assumed he was into gilfs. No, but, I don't uh, think you know, so. That, you, had a, you had a different interpretation, clearly. But after that, we get a very brief cut of a wooden door that has some nondescript chanting going on behind it with some glowing white light beneath it. Yep. And we quickly cut away from that. And we that's when the people there are, go out to Scarab Hill. They're like, hey, Andre Toulon's grave was dug up. What the fuck is this? Oh, well, let's move on with our investigation. I mean, seriously, they, they just done left Toulon's grave half exposed with the coffin out and they're just like 
Oh, okay. Any normal person would report that to the police. I mean, seriously, if they're there to investigate this kind of shit, that's one of the first things that they would take note of. Just like, oh, shit, this is a thing. And like, wasn't this really, really prominent in the first movie? And they're just like, oh, okay. Yeah, it, it's 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 a little bit unbelievable, but we got to suspend our disbelief for a little bit because next we get... A dinner scene that is very reminiscent of the dinner scene from the last movie. Yeah. Is is this going to be like how Texas Chainsaw had a dinner scene in every movie? Is there going to be a dinner scene in every Puppet Master? I That's what I had here, which is ruined dinners are a theme of this franchise. We don't know that yet. Remember, twice is a coincidence, three times is on purpose. I really hope it becomes a theme of this film or this film series where every single movie has someone being a dick at dinner because they got drunk. Yeah, because it turns out Patrick has trouble with his alcohol halls. Mm-hmm. And Patrick is the brother of our main final girl named Carolyn. Yes. Who... Carolyn doesn't do much no. as far as these first few scenes are concerned. But She's a little flat. A little bit. But we then get a cut to a new puppet named Torch. What is your opinion of Torch? He was trying to done escape the Nazis, and then he made an obvious Nazi puppet with bullet teeth. It it is very strange because I, is Andre Toulon a Nazi? Because he kept his knowledge out of the hands of Nazis. But yeah, because we have confirmed, Torch. we have confirmation. That the men in black in the beginning of the first film were Nazis chasing after Toulon in the first one. We have confirmation of that here. But then Torch is just a very obvious, like, he he looks very, very Third Reich to me. It is uh, exceptionally, yeah, the pointed helmet, the brown overcoat, all that. The bullet teeth. I, yeah, bullet teeth. I like the bullet teeth, though. Yeah, that is... Th- that is a pretty clever thing. I like the design. It's kind of, it again, the only thing that's weird is Andre Toulon is very much not a Nazi, so why did he make a Nazi puppet? Oh, whatever. It's a cool design. I'll forget it. At this point, I don't know where Toulon's alliances lie. I can't figure it out. Well, we will get to that. We will get to that in a bit cuz I have a note on that. But also, might might I say they're really pushing the Egyptian stuff with the fact that during the dinner scene previously, that's where they revealed that Gallagher's wife were, was killed and her brains were removed through the nose. So they're really pushing the Egyptian stuff. Because Camille even was like, really? Like through like how they did in Mummification. So I'm just like, yeah, they're they're really pushing this. Yeah. Again, it's it's like the Haitian sort of hoodoo stuff from Child's Play. Yeah. But in the next scene, we have Camille. She gets a sighting of one of the puppets. We don't know who. We're like, ooh, it's a puppet. Everyone goes racing up to her room to see what's going on. And it's just two, like, China dolls. And she, everyone's like, is this this dumb old lady was just yelling at some dolls. Oh, Camille. Are you having a senior moment? <laughs> Go take your pills, old woman. But also, in this scene, the, uh, I think Wanda refers to the Bodega Bay Inn as a house, which is very incorrect, exceptionally incorrect. I mean, is 
Is anything a house if you live there? But they don't live there. Eh, something lives there. Something lives there, and we see exactly what it was when Camille goes back to her room and is very, very easily taken out by the puppets. She seriously done let old human hands drag her away. Like, he's so little. Like, so they, they grab her legs and they make her fall back, and the way she's being dragged, it, it would imply that when she fell on the ground and hit her head, she was knocked unconscious. But that's not what we get. She's very clearly awake and clearly looking around, but she just lets Pinhead drag her, even though in the last movie we saw how easily you can just throw Pinhead and overpower him. He's so little. He's such a very, very tiny creature. <laughs> With big so, old human hands. Big old human hands. And considering the ending of this movie, I kind of want to believe she purposely got taken away by the puppets. Possibly. Thus far, this this series of films has not paid off their ending stings. Nope. So so we'll have to wait, but we'll have to wait and see until part three. But we go to what's their names, Wanda and Lance who are watching a setup of cameras to be like, hey, if we see a ghost, we have it recorded, and it's a bunch of, like, little black-and-white TVs stacked on top of one another. And they are down to fuck. Oh, look, another horny couple. They're so ready to fuck in this ghost house. It's so much so that Lance just straight up has a box of Trojans in his shirt pocket ready to go. Do you think, do you think Trojans sponsored this movie? Um, because it's a very egregious, like, cover to the camera, full box. I mean, possibly. I'm still convinced that Chapstick sponsored Shadow Zone. Fair enough. Fair enough. But in the same scene, Wanda refers to sex as straining a muscle, and it it's it's the worst way to describe. <clears throat> sex in my opinion but then on the cameras they see our boy Tunneler going into a room and Tunneler gets us our first kill of the movie which is Carolyn's brother Patrick where he runs up and starts drilling directly into his forehead but when they did it in the movie they didn't cut away soon enough from the prop puppet making contact with the actor's head so it really just looked like Tuttler ran up and stopped and was, wasn't was able to, like, dig in to his forehead. It was very poorly edited. I didn't notice that, but I kind of wish I had rewatched now so I could take notice of these things. I, I will say, though, not a bad kill to start us off with. Like, the process. Not a bad kill. The practical work on the makeup and stuff for the corpse afterwards... Not bad at all. Absolutely. It, it's a very good kill. It's a very shocking kill because this is only like, what, like 20 minutes in at this point? I don't recall. 30 maybe? Well, it's it's pretty early on. But also, like, we get everyone running into Patrick's room to find him dead. And they find Tunneler. And finally, someone beats the shit out of one of these puppets after seeing it. 
And they, I'm glad Tunneler's dead. They straight up kill Tunneler by just beating him against the wall and against the floor and stomping on him. I'm glad Tunneler is dead. I'm gonna be honest, I did not like Tunneler's design. He was kind of dumb. Isn't, so, I have, I'm having vague memories of a clay, so do you remember Zaboomafu? Yes. They had like a claymation ver, uh, part of that show where there was like a character with a drill on their head during that, and that's what tunneler reminds me of so i'm glad he's dead now i don't remember that part i'll have to find it for you but we cut to a very strange scene where seemingly these paranormal investigators just had a puppet-sized operating table ready to go replete with like puppet scanning technology puppet mri puppet mri they just had it ready to go Puppet MRI, puppet CT scan, puppet ultrasound, puppet x-rays. Puppet anesthesia. Uh, but they they dissect Tunneler, and they're like, the morphogenic techno-goo in it has, has given it life through the power of... And it's, it's a very odd conclusion to reach very quickly, where they are immediately understand that, okay, this puppet is not just a remote-controlled machine, it's alive. Yeah, I actually didn't understand the conclusion that they reached. Maybe I just wasn't paying attention, which is a very good possibility. I half pay attention to these things. That's fine. I watched this movie twice. So, okay, after this, they go to take care of Patrick's body. And where the fuck do they put his body? What is that room? It's like an all-white room with, like, a fog machine going on. It looks like some monster mash-ass fucking mad scientist lab. Is it... Maybe it's the ballroom from the first movie that had, like, the weird-ass black-and-white waltzing scene. Then why... Why is there a fucking... Wait, that room didn't exist. They never actually had that... That never actually happened. The ball dancing only ever happened in in uh, Alex's dreams. So that I, room doesn't exist. I don't remember. I have like two brain cells tonight. I am the puppet master lore keeper. And so you, you will are, respect me, goddammit. You are the puppet master master. <laughs> but they they store <laughs> Patrick in some fucking mad scientist lab somewhere. And then the invisible man arrives! And then the invisible man <laughs> arrives. That's exactly what I had in my notes. Claude Rains is here. Everyone rejoice. Okay, it's Thanks. the invisible man, but he's got like a a hole in his mouth for where his vape goes. <laughs> I I wish it were Claude Rains. That would make me very happy, but it's not Claude Rains. It's obviously Andre Toulon, wrapped up in band images, because he a corpse. He's very, it's very clearly Andre Toulon. They don't even try to hide it at any point, which begs the question, why make an appearance in the first place? I don't know, because he, he lived there? I suppose. It, it just seems weird. I feel like he, a lot of the problems he encounters could be stopped by just having not made an appearance. It could, it could also be the fact that, like, if he were to not make his presence known to Carolyn, then, like, his plans for later on would be 
more jarring and he wouldn't be able to quote unquote sway her. So I think in his mind, it was more beneficial to him to introduce himself and make his presence known. Yeah, I guess so. But one of the things about his, the outfit he appears in is, is it's not just like a fucking... He's not just like bandaged up because he's wounded. He's dressed up as like a full-ass villain. Yeah. Like he's got like the gold chain around him. He's got like the black cloak and the goggles. And it's... He, he is full-on villain. He is full-on invisible man. But he does use a line that I'm going to use later on, and it is, my heart is not attuned to the merriments of children. I wrote that down, and I am using that. That is a great line. It's a very good line. And and I would say Andre Toulon is my favorite character in this film. Yeah. Because he, specifically the actor, is really just living every actor's dream which is to play, like, this big villain in the shitty movie where you <laughs> just get to act and do whatever the fuck you want. It, it is... He, he's very eccentric, and I quite enjoy it. Yeah, it's very, very fun. But we carry on. The paranormal investigators decide to stay, which I don't understand why, because uh, someone has died. Another person's right? disappeared. Like, call the cops. God damn it. Like, if you called the government and was like, hey, my brother's died. I know it seems like we probably all killed him, but look at this puppet. This puppet did it. And they came to the conclusion that the puppet is like a sentient living being very quickly, which means it would be obvious to the government agency that they work for that it was a sentient living being. So they have an alibi that... And the, it's. They probably should ju should have just left, but after that, what we get is, and we go back to the farmhouse. We get the best scene of this fucking movie. It's a really good scene. It is a really good scene. Where first of all, they there's an electric fence around the barn, but it's not like a like like a mesh fence. It's just like it's an electric barbed wire fence. Right. That the puppets could easily go under, which is raises the question why Blade even would even need to cut that fence in the first place. Mm. Probably just to... Alibi? <laughs> for the puppet? I mean, it could also be like, oh yeah, someone cut it, and it makes it think that it's more human than just the puppets. So it's like, kind of covering their own tracks. Yeah, I can guess that. But we get the farm couple that were just sitting there in bed, and the the man is the husband is like making a bunch of gurgling noises. Was it implying that he was snoring, or was he was was masturbating? Because it it seemed like the wife believed that he was masturbating. I don't remember, but I choose to believe it's snoring, because I really don't want to think about an old man yanking his own chain. Fair enough. But the wife turns over, oh no, he wasn't doing whatever. He was being murdered by a puppet. Yep, seems your electric barbed wire fence didn't do you much good keeping them leech ladies away from stealing your organs. Leech woman cuts something out of this husband and proceeds to terrorize the, the wife. 
where Leech Woman knocks over, like, a China doll, and it breaks all over the floor. And it seems that the wife is very, very concerned about it and very, very distraught over it being broken, which was not established in the film. But then we get a genuinely sad scene where Leech Woman is destroyed. Uh, she was thrown into a furnace, if I remember correctly. Yes, she done threw her into a wood-burning oven. But might I also say that Farm Lady done grabs a cast iron skillet to fight off her tiny assailants with, and cast iron skillets make very good weapons. Well, I don't know if it's necessarily that it's a very effective weapon, more so that it is that these puppets are highly ineffectual as soon as you know they're coming. Yes. But that does not save her considering while she may know that Leech Lady is there, she doesn't know the torch is coming. And we get our second, third kill of the movie? I think it's second. Do we? Are we counting the puppet deaths as kills? No. Okay. It would be our third kill. Who's the second? The husband. Oh, yes. Yeah, we get our third kill of the movie with Torch just straight up setting her ablaze. I I wrote it down, which was, Jesus Christ, these puppets are very effective as soon as you strap heavy artillery to them. Yeah, and this this movie took it up a ton since the first one because we got visible kills, we got charred corpses, we got fire stunts. Because, like, she is on fire for a good bit. Yeah, it's it's really, really good. And the stop motion is much more fe- frequent in this as well. So, obviously, they had much more of a budget to play with. Absolutely. Absolutely. Or they just spent their budget better. Possibly. Because I would assume some of the budget from the first movie just went to, like, getting the props and getting the puppets made. Oh, well, we already got the props now, so fuck it. It's a lot cheaper now. Possibly. But we cut from that back to Andre Toulon, who is collecting what he says is the digeneral lobes, which which isn't a thing, that's not a thing, to create the green reanimator juice. H.P. Lovecraft did it first. H.P. Lovecraft did it first. And he also pronounces the god Osiris as Osiris. Is that what it was? Yeah, he's supposed to say Osiris, but he pronounces it Osiris. I must not have been paying attention, because I did not even notice that he mispronounced I was like, wait, what the fuck is he saying? Uh. But we get a weird thing here where Andre Toulon is kind of being portrayed, is being portrayed as evil which is something we never really got from the first film. It seemed more like he was just... Because his main antagonists were Nazis, and pretty much anyone that fights Nazis is considered the good guy, right? Yeah, it definitely seems like they gave him a sinister motive here for no real reason, because they're like, oh, we need an antagonist. Well, we got this character that's dead. Let's just bring him back and make him evil. Yeah, it's it was very odd. We could it could be said that he's just extra evil now because he's also a zombie. Possibly. But we find out that Toulon had a wife in the form of a flashback. 
Grayscale flashback. We see Andre Toulon back when he was actually doing his puppet show. And we find out that the original version of Blade was, in fact... The devil. The the character of Mephistopheles in a puppet show version of Faust. So, Blade was originally the devil. He's the devil. The devil. Blade was originally the devil. And... Which raises the question, why, I, I can't imagine any child wanting to watch v- Faust, let alone a puppet show version of Faust. Yeah, they, they show a small audience of children and they look bored as fuck. But luckily, things get a little more heated because some dude comes in in a turban and just looks at the puppets and they just set them ablaze. And he just sets them ablaze with mind power! Mind fire. <laughs> why you why you gotta do that? Why you gotta to be rude a, like that? To prove a point. I guess so. But Andre Toulon then meets a fellow puppet maker who where where is it? I, I suppose this is taking place in Egypt. It it's some Middle Eastern country. I, I would say it's Egypt though. But we find that he made himself a little puppet that's like this weird little gremlin type thing. And Andre at first is like, no, no, I'm not going to do this for some reason? Morals? I don't know. Well, basically, he's like, I can teach you how to give life to your puppets. Think of the children. Think of the children. They literally go think of the children. Think of the children and learn how to give life to your puppets. Think of the children and make evil puppets. Think of the children and learn unholy abominations. Think of the children. Be evil. Think of the children. Think of the children. (laughs) Think of the children. Speaking of children, we cut to another scene of a child. Running around. Before we get to that, can I just say I really like how they actually showed that Toulon's been decaying beneath his bandages the whole time? Because, like, each time we see him in a new scene, his bandages darken. So it's like it's absorbing the decay from his skin. And I really like that touch. It It's a little bit clever. It's just a little bit clever. I like it. But anyway, we get to a scene of a child running around with a whip and an army man where, like, who the fuck let this kid have a whip? His parents obviously just let him watch Indiana Jones. Right, and he, he like, strips the army man down and is whipping him and is like, it's weird. It's really weird and, like, slightly homoerotic. I don't know if you picked <laughs> that up. I, I did not, but that... That does make me giggle. It's very weird, and it's like it's 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 just really weird. Where the kid then turns and sees Torch, and also Torch is way bigger than I expected him to be. Torch is a decent sized puppet, probably because they had to fit the actual mechanism to shoot the fire out in his uh, into the actual puppet. Yeah, possibly, but like he's he's a decent size. Like he's he probably comes up to this kid's like. Like, in between his knee and his hip. So he's a decent, like, 
maybe two feet tall, two and a half. Yeah, yeah. But Andre Toulon needs more of these lobes for his reanimator juice. And Torch is out getting there, and I'm just... Kill the child. Kill the child. Kill the child! I don't blame you, Nazi flamethrower puppet. That kid was a little shit. Kill the child! And they do! They kill the child. They do. do Off screen. They do? Yes. Okay. I 100% believe that Torch Dunn killed the kid, but they did it off screen because, you know, censorship. Kill the child. Oh, I completely forgot. There is a character named Michael. Yeah, he's Camille's son. And he's boring as fuck. He's obviously our main love interest because Carolyn gets smoochy with him real fast. Real fucking fast. Like, literally within a day or two, gets real smoochy with him. It's... It's exceptional. Like, literally... Get smoochy with the man you just met, who is the son of your missy colleague, as you talk about your dead brother. That's literally how this scene played out. In the world of the full moon universe, being distraught over a dead loved one makes you the horniest. Apparently, because, like, as that's going on, Toulon's in his little, in his little lab shed... And he's like, oh, yes, soon I will have all the ingredients and we shall live another half century. And I'm just like, a half century is not as long as you're making it out to be too long. Most people live a half century pretty normally. Yeah, it's really weird. It's not like immortality. No, just another half century of life. It's like, that's 50 years. That's another 50 years. Okay. That's like, cool. That's good. But like, aim a little higher. <laughs> I know it's like, maybe maybe go for a, a century, or if if you can't get that far, maybe three quarters. Like that, that'd be a little bit better. And we then get to the section of the movie where it's just people doing stuff. You know what I mean? Where the scenes have no real consequence; they're just there to fill time. Yeah, with with Carolyn and Michael, like. Oh, let's turn on the record player and dance. And Toulon's like, may I step in? And he gets real, real aggressive with Carolyn. And Michael's just like, yeah, how about I step in instead? And he's like, all right, all right. He even switches the record on them. And he's like, my Elsa loved this song. Okay, creepy old man. And then we get into an artistically lit sex scene between Michael and Carolyn. We get coitus. We get we get such rapid coitus between Michael and Carolyn. But, you know, I was kind of disappointed. I was like, man, we're already so far through the movie. We get the big coitus scene. But we still, we got no tits. I, I, not- I noticed... I noticed that too. I I was like, amazingly, I have not seen any boobs and it's been an hour. And then I wrote, and I spoke too soon. And then smash cut to tits. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I noticed that too. I was like, wow, this is the longest into a full moon film that I have not seen any lady nip. And I was like, nope, wait, spoke too soon. 
We're on a five-movie streak. We can only go <laughs> up from here. Although this is the longest it's taken. But we get a scene between Wanda and Lance, two other paranormal investigators. They're post-coitus as well. And Blade runs in and starts fucking murdering Dog. And this is the most murder Blade has ever gotten in one of these movies. And I'm so happy for him. He's like, yay, I finally get to do stuff. It, Blade deserves better than what he's got thus far. But we get a scene where Carolyn just decides to walk up to where Toulon has been staying up in the attic, where she uncovers that he has created two human-sized puppets to to input his soul and Carolyn's soul, because we now realize that Toulon believes Carolyn... Does he believe that he she is the reincarnation of his wife, or that she is his wife? I think both. Okay. Because I, I was like, oh, look, another dumb reincarnation plot. He's probably like, oh, yes, when my Elsa was shot down by the Nazis when we were fleeing... I knew she would come back to me, so obviously you must be her reborn and have her memories. Do you remember, my Elsa? No, get away from me, please. Yep, because she ends up tied up in his workshop by his puppets, and with this reveal of another dumb reincarnation plot. I will say the pu- the humanoid puppets are fucking creepy. They are. But the better part of the scene, though, is... We finally get a face reveal for Toulon. He removes He's his... Jason. Huh? He's Jason. <laughs> no, he's not Jason. <laughs> that was my first thought when I saw his face was, oh, he's, he's, oh, it's Jason Voorhees. Okay. No, that Jason Voorhees would only come in, like, post-Tommy Jarvis. So it's not the true Jason Voorhees, but I will say... The decay makeup ain't bad. I like the exposed oh, yeah, skull bits. It, it, it was kind of reminiscent to me of, like, kind of a shrunken head almost, where he wasn't just like a zombie. He was almost mummified a bit. Yeah, like, the the skin is kind of taut. Like, it's been, it's been stretched super tight over the bones and whatnot, and they've got exposed bits and whatnot. I really, really liked it. I was hoping they'd do a face reveal, given that they gave us the whole Invisible Man shtick, and I was not disappointed. I was not disappointed either. It it, it was very uh, aesthetically pleasing. But we also get the scene of Michael, the only other surviving character, running through the house. But first we get his man butt. We get his man butt. But we also get him running through the house uh, doing a gauntlet of puppet battles <laughs> where they are he's tossing them and throwing them over banisters and again it is just reinforcing these puppets are so ineffectual the moment you know they're coming mm-hmm. even torch gets like doesn't he get dispatched with like a fire extinguisher i don't remember i feel like there was some elemental sort of feature to his taking him out but anyways we cut back to them Toulon has been able to put his body into the puppet body 
but then he starts oinking because the puppets have been collecting animal brains instead of human brains, which has fucked up the thing. And Carolyn denies her part of the uh, reanimator serum, leaving only one left that he's about to use on Carolyn. But then the puppets realize that they won't be able to get any and they will die, so they revolt against Toulon, and it fr it's the same exact scene from The Last Pu Puppet Master, of the puppets revolting against their owner. Yeah, before we get into that, though, it's like, I will say the makeup on Puppet Toulon is really good. Like, Oh, yeah. The lips move super well. You can't tell where the prosthetic meets the flesh. It's super seamless. Like, I, I will give praise to that bit of makeup. Like, it's... It's actually really good. It's very unsettling, but it's pretty damn seamless. And this also does explain how Gallagher was able to do it in the first film. Like how he was able to quote unquote die and then bring himself back. They, they, ex it does ex also explain why he was bleeding green goo at the end. Yeah, because it's the reanimation liquid. It's the reanimator goo. But this... This also is a direct contradiction because Toulon even notes that the puppets are harmless when they're under his control in the first film. So it's like this is a direct contradiction to something they already established. So I guess the puppets just have free will now. The puppets have free will. They have plenty of free will. I guess maybe it's because... you know, No, they didn't put logic into this. I'm not going to put logic into it for them. <laughs> But we get the scene of the puppets killing Toulon, where they don't they they rip off his arm and they like beat him up and like turn him and like break him apart. Mm -hmm. And the puppets go off to do their thing. Michael and Carolyn escape. They bury, quote unquote, uh, Camille. Where Michael's like, we never really discovered what happened to her. I don't know what's going on. And uh, Carolyn's like, don't worry about it. We we buried her. We can move on with our lives together. Then we get our ending scene where Camille has put her soul in the puppet body meant for Carolyn and is now the new puppet master and is going to a correctional school to corrupt the youth? For starters, she's not the one who put her soul into the Elsa puppet. The puppets did that for her. Because remember... Why, though? I don't know. So, for starters, they betrayed Toulon because they realized, oh, we're not gonna get any of that reanimation serum, only to use it on Camille, who they actually had tucked away, and for her to become corrupted and just be like, oh, we're going to go entertain the children, and if they say anything, who's going to believe them? They're all little lunatics. So maybe the reanimation process has, like, mind-altering effects? I don't know, but I'm guessing she's going to be the antagonist for the next one. Because that's what it's basically set up to be. I... I guess... I don't know. It's It's, it's very strange. It's a weird ending. Anyway, Casey, what is your opinion of this film? I liked this one more than the first. Some odd choices. Honestly, though, pretty solid. Decently entertaining. It's not a good movie, but it's a fun movie. Yeah, and, and I will say it's kind of fun trying to watch them 
fit these weird decisions they made back in Puppet Master One into a different into this new lore. It, it's it's very fun seeing them build this lore. It's very it's kind of interesting, but no, yeah, it's it's better than the first one. You don't need to have seen the first one to kind of get the film. But question. Yes. What do you think the budget of this film was? 10 mil. 10 mil? Mm-hmm. 10 mil. Well, probably not that much. Like, maybe 1.2. Estimated budget. 780,000. Okay. Yeah, that sounds about right. I don't know. I overestimate this stuff a lot. I'm just like, how much do things actually cost? I don't know. I would imagine they just reused a lot of stuff from the first film. Yeah, probably. That being said, next week we move from pint-sized perils to pint-sized protags in 1991's Doll Man, starring our least favorite Freddy Krueger, Jackie Earl Haley. It looks like a parody movie. It looks like a movie that they'd be watching on The Simpsons, right? Where it's like, now, today, at 5 o'clock, Doll Man! (laughs) You know, I'm actually, I'm kind of excited to see it. Just because it looks so stupid that it's going to be fun. It looks very, very silly. And looking online, it is described as a science fiction action film. And none of those words are comedy, which means this is going to be great. Yes. So tune in next episode for when we talk about Doll Man. But until then, stay away from torch spewing Nazis. And also, think of the children. Think of the children. Think of the children. Think of the children.